Have you ever had one of those days where you just want to throw in the towel? Welcome to the Nonprofit Experience. I'm Sandy Sear, Managing Editor of the Philanthropy Journal. Regardless of what mission area we may work in, many of the challenges we face are universal across the nonprofit sector. This week, B. Smith and Heather Ratliff of the Child Development Center in Wilmington, North Carolina, talk about their work with young children of differing abilities. My name is Heather Ratliff, and I'm the Executive Director of Child Development Center here in Wilmington, North Carolina. And um, hello, my name is B. Smith. I am a teacher in a classroom at Child Development Center, teaching um, four-year-olds and five-year-olds, all going to kindergarten next year. Just a little background information about the center. We are in our 61st year of operation. We are a developmental day program, meaning that we serve children with special needs in an inclusive setting with typically developing children. We start at age two here and um, go up until they transition into kindergarten. About 80% of our kids here have significant um, developmental delays. Well, we serve children with a, a variety of disabilities and provide special education, speech, occupational, and physical therapy. Try to get them as ready for kindergarten as they can be. So B's one of the ones um, in the trenches doing the hard work. Um, so B, what led you into teaching in early education? I have to say that as long as I can ever remember, since I was a very young child, I was going to be a teacher. There was never hesitation in my mind. There was never any doubt that when I grew up, I was going to be a teacher. Um, and I just always babysat. I did tutoring in high school. I picked a college where I could have an education degree. I just knew right from the get-go that that was just my life's mission to be a teacher. Um, I've worked in a private school in New York City, um, working with a clientele that would be at a school like that and moved to Wilmington. And um, I actually lived on a sailboat and homeschooled my daughters for several years and sort of stumbled into um, the Child Development Center. And I love it. I've been here for about seven years and I just love the way we can help kids, the way we can help them learn, help them grow, have them experience things that are so important to children when they're really little. And that's, that's it. I mean, my, my background's a little bit different. I actually um, never aspired to be a teacher. I always wanted to be a veterinarian. Um, about halfway through college at NC State, realized that animal sciences was not for me, switched to psychology. And one day on a bulletin board, I saw an advertisement for an ABA therapist for a child with autism as a part-time job. And so I took that and got trained, started working as an individual therapist for two children with autism, kind of fell in love with working with children on the spectrum. Um, and when I got ready to graduate, one of my friends said, you know, I have, I have a family member that lives down in Wilmington that works at this developmental day. You could keep working with children on the spectrum. Um, came down and interviewed, started immediately after college in December of 2000, and uh, started in the classroom here, kind of learned by the seat of my pants how to be a teacher. I'm sure that first year was not beautiful. Um, fell in love with teaching, fell in love with this organization, and have now been here for eight over 18 years. So I've been the executive director for three. But you've still loved animals. I mean, you were just talking a few minutes ago about having four, four cats and Two dogs. dogs. Yes, so. animals are still a big part of her life, but I'll let someone else do the, the bedding. What do you think your biggest challenges are working at a nonprofit um, education center? 
I think one of the hardest things is not being able to um, provide the materials and the things that I would like to be able to provide. Um, I spend a good portion of my paycheck mm-hmm. on buying things for the classroom. I do a lot of yard selling, um, you know, but I, I wish that more people saw the value of a nonprofit. I saw, I wish that more people saw the value of a school like this, of what we do here and how important it is to help a lot of these kids who don't have the ability to have the exposure to the things they need to be exposed to, to be able to go to kindergarten and be mm-hmm. successful. Um, but um, I mean, the money, yes, but I think also just having people know what we do here. Mm-hmm. I mean, what else do you think? Do you? Well, funding funding is yeah. always huge from from administrative part. I wish that we could provide newer, updated materials. Um, there's definitely furniture that I'd love to replace. Um, I'd love to give the staff raises. Um, you know, part of staff retention is making sure your staff is happy. Um, you know, but with no funding increases at the state level in over 20 years, it's becoming more and more difficult just to maintain. Um, so my frustration is getting people at the state level to understand the value of what we do. You know, early education research clearly shows the value in early education. Um, what we do, what you do, be reduces those kids' need for special education. Um, you know, in K-12, it reduces um, prison rates. It increases graduation rates. Um, so the research is there, um, but it, it doesn't seem like the powers that be at the state level are ready to back it with funding, even though the research, fun, um, you know, clearly shows its use. Um, and I think also not being able to provide additional supports, physical supports in the classroom. Um, a lot of the kids that we serve are pretty significantly involved. Um, and if you have one child who takes, you know, kind of one-on-one support to, to function and to, to be successful in a classroom, then that leaves the other staff member with 11 other kids. Right. Um, and so to be able to provide additional hands-on support so that our kids can get the most out of out of their time here. Yeah. And I think sometimes, you know, what goes along with that is is sometimes it's, as a teacher in the classroom, you know, you can have great days and you can have terrible days. And mm-hmm. it would be nice, if you know, to be able to just take a minute and breathe. Mm-hmm. And you don't always have the opportunity to do that in a day mm-hmm. because you're, you're going from, you know, a toileting incident to a classroom mm-hmm. incident to something else, you know, so you're trying to, you're trying to manage, you know, so many people all at once. And I mean, I imagine it's like that anywhere that you work. Mm-hmm. I've only ever been in a classroom, so I don't know what it's like <laughs> to work somewhere else. Um, but it's, it's sometimes it's, it's hard because we want as teachers, as, as educators, Mm -hmm. as administrators, it doesn't matter. You want, you want the best for your students and you want to provide that however you can. And sometimes it's financial and sometimes it's just support to parents. Um, sometimes it's, you know, providing, helping to provide extra food or helping to provide extra clothing. And I know there are a lot of teachers here, you know, we spend a lot from, we, we do a lot from, from our own pockets to be able to do that. Um, it's funny, we were talking earlier and people will say to me, oh, I don't know how you do what you do. And I can't imagine do not doing what right. I do. Um, and I'm sure you feel the mm-hmm. same way, Absolutely. but I couldn't imagine any other kind of a job, um, I look at other people's jobs and I think, oh, that's so hard. That's so difficult. How in the world can you do that? And people will say that to me. And I'm like, but this is not hard. I mean, yes, it's hard. There are challenges. Yes. There's no question. 
but it's what I, it's not, to me, it's, it's not fulfilling. A, it's fulfilling, exactly. Where do you think, uh, what would you be your biggest goal for CDC? Um, if you look five years down the road, what would, where would you like to see the organization as a whole? It always comes back to the funding. I know, but we're a nonprofit. It generally <laughs> does. Are. It does come back to that. Um, you know, when I taught before, my experience was, as I said, it was in a private school. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, it helped to pay for my graduate school. And, you know, I, I could buy whatever I wanted and it would it would be so nice. There are so many wonderful things that are out there that would help us help these children so much more mm-hmm. than we are helping them. I it, it, it always seems to come back to the funding. And, mm-hmm. you know, as you said, it's any nonprofit is the same thing. I just want people to 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 know what we do here I want people to to I mean that would be another thing would be to have people be more aware of of what mm-hmm. we do and why we do it and why it's so important mm-hmm. um, we kind of keep circling around back to that but I think a lot of people don't realize what we what we're actually doing mm-hmm. here um, and just to have people come visit and right. see what we're doing we're, um, we're always told I had no idea you were here you're a hidden mm-hmm. treasure um, so once our parents are placed yeah. here and they start seeing the progress, yeah. um, you know, most of our parents are very thrilled to be here. Um, yeah. But they wouldn't have known about us if they weren't placed yeah. by the county. And I hear that a lot going out and doing events as an executive director is, you know, how long have you been there? Well, we've been at this location for 20. We've been going for 61 years. And so many people in the community don't know who we are. And I think that's because, um, you know, prior in the past, we had additional funding sources and we didn't have to necessarily right, you know, wave our hands and say, hey, we're here, we're a nonprofit, we need support, because we had funding from um, like mental health and other sources. And since those funding sources have dissipated, we now find ourselves needing to be a nonprofit. So even are running like one, we've always been one. So I think we find ourselves now trying to reorganize at the administrative and board level and say, okay, now we need to operate as a nonprofit and figure out how to do that. Um, because we've always operated as a um, self-sufficient school and, and can no longer do that. And so um, it's, it's crazy to think we've been here impacting this amount of lives and families for so long and still so many people don't know we're here. Um, I was looking at, thinking about, you know, you've been here for so long and I was thinking about the student that came from next door Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember when yes. he came over yes. to volunteer? He was volunteering here in the afternoon to help get some work experience in classrooms cleaning and, and things like that. And when he came in, Heather and Heather realized that he was a student that she had had fifteen years ago uh-huh. or so. Yeah, he's now part of um, you know special education post secondary um, training where he's learning um, job skills. He's twenty, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when he walked in and it was immediately, you know, I won't say his name and they were like, that's who that is. Um, you know, and the next time here comes a little mm-hmm. wild, a little wild woman that we all knew and loved as a wild little three year old, um, that several of us have had. And so, um, yeah, they, they latch in on you. They do. And I, I mean, as I said, I still keep in touch with some of them because mm-hmm. I just love them. And it's nice to know that things that have happened here have been able to carry over to help right. them. You know, most of the kids that I've taught are probably no in probably third grade now, but seeing kids who are being successful in kindergarten and first grade and second grade, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, 
it's really makes, you know, it's one of the greatest things about working here is knowing that you've been able to help a child. Yes. Um, get, my, get down the road. One of my first years teaching here, I think it was my second, I had a little one who turned everything into a drum. Wasn't, didn't matter what it was. He turned it into a drum. It's all he did. Um, and I can remember days, you know, wanting to pull my hair out because y'all, you could hear in my head was drumming, drumming, drumming. Um, I ran into his mom about a year ago, and um, he just got a scholarship to uh, a college to be on the drum line. And so it was, you know, it was amazing to see that this, like, he just had it in him all mm-hmm. the time. Um, you know, but he just drummed constantly, and he turned it into a career. That was a neat moment to realize, mm-hmm. um, you know, that he had kind of taken that passion that he had as a three-year-old and developed it into an opportunity that was going to give him an opportunity to go to college that he may not have had. Wow. Have there ever been times where you've been um, – ready to just throw in the towel and just, I can't do this anymore? Absolutely. I think, I mean, just honestly, I think every educator has those days, those moments where it's, what am I doing? Is it, you know, I'm living paycheck to paycheck and ah! Um, but ne- never seriously consider quitting um, or leaving the profession. But there were definitely days where it was just one thing after another that it was, what am, what am I doing? Yeah, well, I, 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 have, I, I have times where I'll kind of go through a period where I'll be like, okay, I can take take this, you know, and, and you deal with you deal with mm-hmm. families who are dealing with DSS and you deal with, mm-hmm. you know, there's lots of issues in a lot of families that they're dealing with. And I take, I love my kids dearly and I take them all, I, yes. I take them all in my heart very, very quickly. And you think, okay, well, I can deal with this situation and that's fine. But I can't take any more. And then something else will happen a couple of days later. And you're like, oh, but I can't have that happening to another child in my class. Yes. If one more thing happens, that's it. I'm done. And then something else happens. And you're like, okay, I have to get through this. Yes. Because same thing. I mm-hmm. There are times where I'm, I can't do it anymore. And then I'm right back the next morning. So, or the next year or the next whatever. Um, but sometimes it's very, very hard. Sometimes it's mm-hmm. exhausting. What are some of the stories, success stories that you think about that kind of keep you grounded and keep you, make you keep going during those hard days? Um, well, I, we have had, in my time here, I've had, you were talking about the girl who had learned to walk. Mm-hmm. I have had several children in my class who came in at the beginning of the year in a walker and mm-hmm. walked out of the class on their own two feet. And it's huge for a child mm-hmm. who's four, a child who's five, who didn't know how to walk when they started in your class and then they're walking out is is like I it gives me goosebumps even and tears tears in my eyes (laughs) just to think about it um it's 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 an amazing thing and and then there are a lot of smaller victories of you know children who might start using some language that they've never done that before or children who might start using a little bit of sign um and that's actually one of the things Mm -hmm. that I have really attached myself to was wanting to learn how to use sign language because I've always been intrigued by it, but I've just never sort of learned it. And, um, I know a lot of, I know all my colors. I know a lot of animals. (laughs) I should go on safari because (laughs) I know them all, but I love using sign language and teaching some of the signs to the kids is also something that I've think is really wonderful and I I of course look back and think oh I wish I'd known that when my kids were really little um because especially for my younger daughter who didn't have this verbal skills that her older sister had because she was little I would have loved to have been able to have helped her communicate a little bit more when she was younger and she didn't have the words yet and you just get attached you Mm -hmm. just 
you just get attached to these kids. am I cut out for that because I always felt that what I was doing was very important um, I'm not just here to make sure this three or four year old child is safe but I'm here to help them reach milestones that they're delayed on um, and so if I had a day where the classroom was a little more chaotic than I like or I didn't get to get to all my lessons um, it was just a really hard day it made me question am I cut out for it mostly because I didn't want to fail my students because I felt like failure was not an option for them. They deserved 110% of what we could give them. They need that support. And I felt like, am I the one that should be giving it to them? Like, this this day has been not great. Um, and I think getting through it is is having another day where you see a huge milestone and it just makes it all worth it. Right. Well, and I, I think also for, for you, from your perspective, you know, you kind of came, as you said earlier, you kind of came to teaching in a roundabout way. Mm -hmm. It was not your intention, you know, whereas I, I mean, I swear I was such a little <laughs> kid and I was going to be a teacher. So it was always, there was never, I mean, I don't, it sounds a little bit, you know, egotistical to say I never felt like I wasn't cut out for this because it was it was really it was my mission from such a young age that um, I never felt like I'm not cut out for this. I mean, there are days there are many, many days. And I guess this is sort of part of it where, you know, you have your schedule, you have your routine, mm -hmm. you have the way you do things in the classroom and you have a student. And clearly it's working for many of the other kids, but it's not working for this one kid. And I guess what happens is you have to stop and think it's not, well, this is the way I do it and therefore it will work. It's okay, but this is the way I usually do it, but it's not working for this child. So what is there that I can do that can change how this child is engaging in his classroom? I mean, something as silly as we had one child who was having a lot of separation issues coming in in the morning and we were trying to work through it and work through it and it wasn't working and it really wasn't a problem for anybody else. But for this particular child, it was. And I was like, what can be different about when this child comes into the classroom so we can make something different? And I don't know why, but I decided, well, let me bring the trampoline back into the classroom and just see. So if he can have some sensory input, jump on mm -hmm. the trampoline 15 times to start his day and see if that makes a difference for him being able to separate from his parents and come into mm -hmm. the classroom. And it made a huge difference. And I wouldn't, you know, it wasn't, I didn't change anything about him. I didn't change it. I just kind of changed what, how we were doing things in the classroom in order to make it a smoother transition for him. Plus everybody else started. Some kids come in, Ooh, I'm going to jump for, for <laughs> a minute or two. And it wound up being something that I wouldn't have necessarily thought as being an important part, but for this child, it helped him to make that transition. Um, and I think that's one of the things being in the classroom, you do have to spend time mm -hmm. thinking about your individual kids. I mean, we have kids with IEPs. It's an individualized education plan. Yes, there's a lot of similarities from one child to the next, but they also have a lot of differences. And it's very important. If things aren't working, it's not always what it's not, it's not always about the child. It's about what you as an educator can do to modify what you're doing to make it mm -hmm. better for the child. Self-reflection is really important, especially yes. when working with young kids and young kids with special needs, because 
you know, one child with, you've met one child with autism, you've met one child with autism. Um, even though they can have some, some similar challenges, they're very different in the way they experience things and the way they react. Um, so it is really important for all of our teachers to kind of self-reflect and not get stuck in that, this is the way I teach, this is the way I present, this is what I do. Um, because conformity is, is not likely to happen under those circumstances. You really have to think about, okay, well, this is working for this child, great. Why is it not working and what can I do differently to make this child as successful as some of the other kids are being? I keep talking about um, we all have schedules and routines in our <laughs> classroom, but there's a difference between rigidity and structure. Absolutely. Um, and you have to be flexible. Um, you have to make mo on-the-spot <laughs> modifications what you're doing when you're doing it. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a very, very big difference those are my two words. I'm like structure and rigidity are not the same. They're not interchangeable. Yes. Mm -hmm. your, so. circle, your circle time or group time may be on paper 20 minutes and five minutes in, it's done, it's done. Yeah. Um, don't don't keep going just to, just to keep because it's on schedule yeah. because it's going to make everybody miserable. That's true. Absolutely. And likewise, it can go the other way. We have a group this year that loves stories. We can read a 25-minute story and everyone sits and listens. Right. So... You have yeah. to be. I'm classroom reading. mixes and dynamics change significantly from class to class and year to year. Mm -hmm. um, it really does. It's you can't. You, wouldn't you think. can't. You, you can't keep the same. You can't be like, oh, here's my lesson plans, a stack of lesson plans I've had for twenty years. I'm going to keep using because it just doesn't work in this environment to do that. Yes. What um, What's the most helpful thing you find about having on-site therapies, like the collaboration with the therapist? A lot of brainstorming ideas, a lot of, um, I mean, I love the therapists, their job. We couldn't do what we do here without the therapist mm -hmm. helping us to do those jobs. Um, and I love the, the enthusiasm that I have when a kid learns to do something or does something differently. And then when they share that enthusiasm with me, it's just mm -hmm. phenomenal. Um, but I, I mean, we couldn't do it without them. We just, we couldn't. You know, I will stand by the fact that there's there's not a staff person in this building that's not in it for the kids because um, they're certainly not in it for the pay that's in education. Um, but sometimes it does happen where kids aren't mm -hmm. a good fit for either the classroom dynamic or, um, you know, that teacher and that child, you know, interactions just aren't aren't getting the child where they need to be. And so sometimes we do um, we do make a change if we need to. Um, you know, if we, if we see a need, we'll, we'll put a kid. Ms. B was just explaining a situation where a child had been struggling um, in another classroom where the dynamic of the family and school wasn't meshing well. And mm -hmm. so we made that change, and it was an immediate turnaround. And it's, it's so important not only because did that child end up making more progress because they were in a better fit, but I think it, it helped that mom see that the school was in it for their child um, and that it kind of helped prepare that mom for realizing that Maybe not every teacher is going to be her cup of tea, but everybody's, you know, the school is kind of setting that positive tone for schools here to support your child and, and do the best that they can. And, and we're all committed child. to helping helping mm -hmm. that child. And you think, oh, I don't want my child to be moved to another class, but sometimes that might be the best thing for your child. Mm -hmm. um, but um, just, you know, again, you get some people you get along with, so, Sometimes personalities just don't yeah. mesh to make the best yeah. and most progress. And if we see that yeah. as the case, if there's room in another classroom, we want to give it a shot, you know, we'll give it a shot. We've done it 
We've done it this year with, with a little guy who is having some significant behavior problems. Um, we've called in some external supports, but we thought, you know, let's see if a different, um, you know, because all of our teachers have different personalities and bring different teaching methods to the table. Let's let's switch classrooms and see if if stopping the, the dynamic that was happening between that teacher and that student to another teacher helps. And sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't, but it's it's always... It's always worth a shot to change the child's environment to see if an environmental change or a teaching strategy change will be kind of what helps them click. Our major source of funding, about 75% of our budget comes from contracts from the school systems. So we contract with New Hanover, Brunswick, and Pender County schools. Um, we have an exceptional children's contract with those three counties to serve the children with special needs who um, require five days a week of specialized instruction. So um, that's our biggest contract. We also contract with New Hanover County's NC Pre-K program and serve children who are at risk. So these aren't necessarily, they can be children with disabilities, um, but they can also be typically developing children who um, come from homes, um, you know, low-income homes, um, parent in the military. There's lots of risk factors that would qualify them for that program. Those contracts are a huge part of our budget. Um, the problem with that is um, the funds for our exceptional children's rate comes from the state, and that rate has not increased in 20 years. So, um, you know, 20 years ago, um, our per pupil rate would have probably covered the cost of care to provide a licensed teacher and any therapies that the child needs. Um, that is no longer the case 20 years later, because although I know teachers would argue pay has changed since 20 years ago, um, when I first started here, I think starting teacher pay was like $22,000. Um, you know, now starting pay is in the 30s. So um, that's our biggest challenge. Another funding source for us is grants and fundraising. We also um, participate in the subsidy program. So we do have children that are here on vouchers that qualify for daycare subsidy. And we do have private pay. So we do have children whose parents just enroll them and pay private tuition like you would at any other preschool. Um, for parents who allow us to bill their insurance for related services, that's another funding source for us. That is, of course, parent choice because once they have an individual education program, they're entitled to, it's called FAPE, a free and appropriate public education. And so we are contracted to provide the special education and any related service that child needs, whether it be speech, physical therapy, and occupational therapy. And the parents are within their rights to say, no, you can't bill our insurance for that. We want to do outside therapy. And so we have some students that we're serving five days a week. They're getting, you know, an hour of speech, hour of PT, hour of OT, and we're not billing their insurance. Needless to say, that 20-year-old rate per pupil doesn't come close to covering their cost of care. So we're finding ourselves more and more needing to rely on grants and fundraising to kind of bridge the gap between the cost of care and um, our consistent funding sources. And I think a lot of people would agree that all of that, it's so important, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the therapies and things like that, but they don't realize how expensive it really is it's and what a, difference, <laughs> what a difference it can make. Mm -hmm. I ran into um, a parent a few weeks ago whose child came through here and has moved on and is in the, you know, in the elementary schools and she was saying um, what was so critical to hit to for his but you know education was the early intervention mm -hmm. you know she said I quit my job so that I could drive him to all of the therapies that right. he needed for the physical therapy the occupational therapy the speech therapy in order to be able to help him succeed and 
she was fortunate. She was able to do that. Right. For a lot of the parents whose children come here, they can't afford to not work. They're single parents. You know, yes. they're earning Dual minimum income. wage. They have more than one child, whatever. Um, and just how important that, that intervention is. I mean, like all these kids, mm-hmm. we're all people. We're all humans. We all inhabit this earth. We all have to share it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we can, the more we can help them, the more successful they can be, mm-hmm. the more successful we can all be. Thank you for coming out and talking with me, Miss B. It was nice to, uh, always nice to sit down and hear a yeah. current teacher's perspective. So I appreciate you um, taking some time out of your classroom. To, Absol- absolutely. To I, it was interesting hearing some of the things, hearing some of the funding stuff, you know, in greater <laughs> detail was always, is always interesting to me. Um, and it's been, it's been nice talking to you. Thank yes. you for inviting me to sit with you for a few minutes. Yes. Thank you for listening to the Nonprofit Experience. If you like what you hear, please support our work. You can rate us on iTunes, share us with a friend, and donate to the project at go.ncsu.edu forward slash give to PJ. TNE is a project of the Philanthropy Journal. Our managing editor is Sandy Sear. Our graduate editor is Kristen Gullihue. Our graduate assistant editor is Preston Whitwer. And our multimedia producer is David Mueller. This episode was produced by David Mueller, who also wrote our theme music. For more information on this and other episodes, visit us at philanthropyjournal.org. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at The Nonprofit Experience and subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play.